and welcome to the Words and Pictures podcast. I'm DJ Bowman-Smith and this is Words and Pictures podcast number 18. This week my guest is Dominic Piper. He's a thriller writer, so stick around and hear what he's got to say. He's a really interesting fellow. At my desk this week. Well, at my desk this week, I've been having a little think about what a difference a dog makes. Now, we got our dog last year, um, just before the winter hit, about September. And uh, obviously she was a puppy and we walked a little bit once she had her ejections. But of course now she's a grown-up dog and she's a whippet and she's marvellous. And I was just thinking how, you know, I begin my day with a big hour's walk, mostly. And I usually walk her again for probably another hour in the afternoon. And now the dark nights are here, well, I probably take her for a little bit of a lead walk around the block for maybe half an hour, 20 minutes. So really, I'm walking this dog three times a day. Now, if you'd asked me, you know, a year ago before I got the dog, how much dog walking I would in fact do, I probably would have said "Mm, maybe about an hour, 45 minutes. And I also would have said I haven't really got the time to take any more out of my day than that would make. And I understand that whippets sleep a lot and they do. But obviously I've got a young dog and she's very light, lively and she likes a lot of walks and so do I. But the thing is, and here's the thing, and I'm not saying rush out and buy a dog, obviously not, not unless you want one. But what I'm saying is the interesting thing is once you start doing a fair amount of exercise, it kind of gets integrated in your, into your day. And I haven't really noticed that I'm actually writing less or doing less creative stuff. It's just kind of fitted in and of course I'm much healthier as a result and I've lost a bit of middle age weight and I feel I'm not quite such a, I get a bit of a stiff neck me because I will sit for hours and hours and write as all writers do, you know, and a bit of a, you know, widening of the buttocks where you're sitting on your seat all day. So it's really doing me good is what I'm saying and I think where you're walking the dog and it's not really a, you know, I mean my husband comes with me quite a lot but I do find it's a time to have a think And you kind of get some air into your lungs and into your brain. You're moving around. And I think when you do sit down to write, when you've had quite a bit of exercise, you do, in fact, produce more and produce it quicker. Well, that's what I'm finding anyway. So that's my thing. It's about this week's at my desk is about thinking about stuff that I'm going to write at my desk while I'm walking my dog. Well, it's been very beneficial. They say, you know, dogs improve your health. Well, I've certainly found that. So well done, Evie, for, um, you know, I'm not such a fat writer as I was and uh, possibly a bit more oxygen on the brain. Perhaps I'm writing better prose. Who knows? Anyway, so that's me and Evie, the dog. And uh, let's get on then. So come and meet Dominic Piper, the thriller writer. I think you'll like him a lot. I'm very excited to welcome on the Words and Pictures podcast this week, Dominic Piper, author of breathtaking thrillers. Dominic has four books out. Kiss Me When I'm Dead, Death is the New Black, Femme Fatale and Bitter Almonds and Jasmine. So hello Dominic and welcome to the podcast. Hello, thanks very much. Yeah, it's lovely to have you along and uh, and I know you write across some other disciplines but what would you say, because you do write for film and a bit for TV and journalism, script editing, all those other things, but would you say that writing the thrillers is your favourite and main kind of writing? Um, it, it is now, yeah, I think so. Um, I, I kind of got into it um, by accident, really. Um, I'd never written the novel before um, Kiss Me When I'm Dead. Um, someone I knew who was working in television knew this publisher who was asking for people who could write in any genre, basically. And having done sort of lots of different characters and people in TV, uh, I fitted the bill. 
So um, I just went to, um, I just had a meeting and just ran through a few ideas and came up with the idea of this um, private investigator who had some sort of covert background that you never quite knew what it was. So he was like a mystery and it was revealed bit by bit um, as you got to know his abilities throughout the books. So I was a bit sort of, um, you've, it's a bit of a cliche now, but you have um, lots of uh, characters in film and books who are ex this and that, you know, they're ex Navy SEALs, they're ex CIA, they're ex army. But I, I think we've all, we've all got a backstory, haven't we? I think, but I think it's important. Yeah. Yeah, his backstory is never stated, and ah. it's down to the reader to work it out for themselves. Um, in um, Bitter Almonds and Jasmine, uh, a couple of characters turn up who are like him, and you begin to think, well, who are these people? You know, there are people out there with similar abilities, and um, it's like he's from this, suddenly you're aware that he's from this world that you're not quite sure what it is. It's, you know, some people, lots of people guess. <laughs> they say like, oh, he's ex, um, you know, MI6 or he's ex-army or, you know, some sort of criminal. And I've kept it ambivalent. You know, he has abilities and does things that could be from any of those backgrounds and you only um, find out about them. So, so do you know, do you know, Dominic, Dominic, do you know the real Daniel Beckett then, and will you reveal yes, it to I know, us? I know, I know what he is. Yeah, I know where he came from. on a sheet of paper in a locked vault in Switzerland. But, uh, <laughs> of course, it is. So, it is. <laughs> uh, so it, it's always in my head um, why he should be able to do all these things, but um, I keep it back. And I, I know when he gets into certain situations, he would be able to do this and that, and I know he'd be able to do that. But to the reader it's all quite new and unexpected so when he comes up with these sort of extraordinary abilities you think well how on earth would someone know how to do that and that you know so it it, it takes you in sort of different directions in fact the the books are kind of um i suppose they could be described as mysteries as well as thrillers or thriller mysteries but there's a mystery within the mystery which is this character and it's something that makes it more interesting for the reader because it makes him unpredictable and it makes it you don't really know how he's going to react in certain situations because you don't quite know where he came from and what his abilities would be. Oh, it sounds brilliant. And, and so are you going to carry on writing the Daniel Beckett stories? Um, yeah. Is there, is there mean, more? The, yeah, well, I'm I'm sort of um, doing the um, the fifth one in the series at the moment, but it, it's it's because of COVID. Basically, it's um, it's been sort of delayed quite a bit, and um, I sort of it, it's a difficult thing to do when you you start uh, writing something. You have to take a couple of weeks off and then come back to it. You know, I, I just can't remember what, what was going on a lot of the time. I make a lot of um, preparatory notes. And um, sometimes I, I use these big A3 cartridge pads with lots of boxes and arrows and stuff like that for the plots. And if you have a break of even like two or three weeks, you come back to it and you just have to reread all that stuff all, all again to work out what on earth you were thinking when you uh, uh, were sort of plotting it out. Sometimes it's just one word or something. And you, <laughs> why did I write that? What, what does that mean? <laughs> 
So yeah. uh, yes. I think I think it's very important to keep track of all the balls that you have in the air, what, whatever That's you're creating, whatever genre that you're writing. I think it's really important, even if you're a pantser, even if you just write off the top of your head. So would you say you're more of a planner than Dominic? Um, I yeah, it, it, I start off that way because I've got to have something to go on, but it seems to change. And often I've made all these notes and all these bits of research and all these amusing things that people could say, and I never use any of them in the end. It sort of takes a momentum of its own, usually. Yes, yeah, um, definitely. The first one, um, Kiss Me When I'm Dead, I, the way that went, I had absolutely no idea that it was going to end like that when I started it. And um, there are also characters who I just made sort of very brief notes. I mean, there's one character in Bitter Almonds and Jasmine who um, I hadn't planned for being a major personality at all. And she sort of almost took over the book. And this same thing happened in Femme Fatale where there was one character who was going to be a minor character. So I just, it's it's almost like they come alive, you know, and you're you're kind of thinking, oh, so that's what's going on. So it's a surprise to me in a way what... Um, each of the stories uh, turns into. I, yeah. I think, you know, I'd like to be able to sit down and just do it chapter by chapter so I know exactly what's going to happen and I know exactly what's... But it's a bit boring, you know, so it's always quite quite fun for me to do it where um, I don't really know what's going to happen. Yeah, I think it's nice to have a frame to hang your basic story plot on, but then just let your imagination... Because that's the joy of it, isn't it? The The... You know, it's amazing how the subconscious will work on the story without you knowing. And then when you come back, you know, a few days later or whatever it is, and suddenly there's all this stuff that's popped up, a new character, something that the character can do or a place that you never thought of. And and it's, yeah, it that's the joy of being a storyteller, I think. Yeah, that's, that's amazing. Right, yeah, it's, um, yeah the, these things, I mean, the more, the more, I say I'm doing the fifth one at the moment, but as it's the same character, they're all based in London. It's not, they're not similar stories at all. The more you do, the more you have to um, go back and check on technical details with the other books. I don't really read the other books once they're finished, but it's just like the main character, Daniel Beckett, his flat, for example. If I'm describing it, I have to think, well, what what was what was I describing in the two books ago? You know, so you have to have if I was more together with this sort of thing, I'd have a file where I would write down every single description I'd made of his flat. Yes, I so, have a file. <laughs> I, I, just, I just don't do that. And um, there's there's other potential files which I've discarded where um, there are various martial arts techniques that are described. Um, it's not like a big sort of spectacular thing. It's very, very understated. But I have to keep thinking, well, has he used that one? Did he do that in one of the other books? So I have to go back and, and check that. That's the only time I read the books. But I, I wouldn't say I was reading them. You know, I just put the, get the document up, go in search and just put a word in so I can get direct. Yes, find that place. Yes, yeah, exactly. I can't imagine, actually. I mean, I, I'm obviously, this is a 21st century technique for writing. I can't imagine what it must have been like typing these out with a typewriter. And, or uh, writing it by hand. I can't. I'm dyslexic. I can't, handwriting just does not happen for me on yeah. any level at all. Really, just going through pages and pages of other manuscripts trying to find out. Whereas here, it's just like picking a button and you just put a keyword in, and yeah. there you are. Do you think um, people had better memories then? I don't know. I don't know. It's uh, <laughs> they must have done. <laughs> yeah, it's it's possible. I mean, it, but it's just things like um, making typos. You know, on something. I mean, I used to type stuff a long time ago when I started doing TV work 
and just one mistake, I just rip it up and just start the whole page again, you know, because you can't sort of send stuff in in a professional situation with Tipex on it and stuff like that. So I I just don't understand how people used to manage with it really. But yeah, I think they were much more accurate. And I think storytelling was left to people that were that were very literate and didn't have, you know, like I say, I'm dyslexic a little bit and, and um I could never do what I do now in you know without the modern te- modern technology. Absolutely not. Yeah. Really. So, and also things like um checking spelling and things like that and where places are and um you know sort of small details i mean a lot of it is just just a sort of small example there are a lot of women um feature in these books and there's a lot of um descriptions of the perfumes they're wearing in some cases this is some it's not like this character is obsessed with uh you know the notes of different perfumes but it's important to give detail i think for those sort of things and depending on who the what the character is like they would be wearing a different type of thing and there is no way on earth i would be able to research that kind of information before the internet made it easy to do i wouldn't have, have had the faintest idea you know how you could go into a room and some perfumes have got three or four major notes in them that you can immediately identify and put it together like a jigsaw and think that's so and so i smelled that scent yes yeah clever so technical things like that are um and nothing more evocative than smell i think actually well, it's possible, yeah. I mean, I, I don't know. It, it's, um, you know, there's a lot of little details like that that you'd, I mean, I, I can remember when I, start, I started doing TV stuff in early 90s, I think, and um, occasionally I'd have to just stop and go out to the library and find something that I was looking for to try and hopefully get some details about something I didn't know anything about. Um, these books uh, have got a lot of stuff that I didn't know about before I started writing them, but it's far easier to get the information now than it was, you know. So, yeah. So I take it you don't do martial arts, in Dominic. Me myself. Yeah. <laughs> yes, I did. Yeah. You I, do. I, you did. Oh well. So, so some of it's based on you. Um, then have, some, have you got a dark them. past that you're yes. that you're adding in? <laughs> I, you're not going to tell about, me. <laughs> I've done about three three different ones in my in oh. my time, but um, because of that, it, I'm kind of aware that some of these things, when you're actually in real life looking at them, it's very hard to work out what's going on. So to actually describe them, so, so a reader can understand what's happening is quite difficult so whereas a lot of these many techniques are very sort of flash and clever they don't lend themselves to being described accurately for a reader because even if you were there watching it you wouldn't quite understand what was happening with a lot of them it's um i mean there's aikido is a sort of particular japanese martial art where it if you see it being done it almost looks as if the the attacker is bouncing off the person they're attacking. You just think, well, what happened there? You know, so you can't just describe <laughs> things, you know, action sequences in that kind of way. So the, the, you you tend to go for the simpler ones, really, and the ones that are less spectacular. So, uh, yeah. Yeah, because I think the reader doesn't needs to have it in the shortest sort of form, I think. Otherwise, we all get bored, don't we? That's, That's the right, trouble. Yeah. 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 Do you um, think you'll stick to writing thrillers, Dominic, or do you think you'll, um, have you got other other stories in you? Do you do you quite do, I, do I you? Know, I quite like this. I didn't. I didn't think. I mean, I've. Um, I didn't think I'd be doing this kind of thing. I've never been a thriller fan. I never used to read. I just never read that sort of book. And um, 
I think that's part of the reason a lot of people say these are not like other detective thriller thriller mysteries or whatever they are that they've read before. And that's because I just don't have any influences. Um, people often say, I've seen in reviews, oh, this reminds me of so-and-so writer and so-and-so writer. And I really don't know who they're talking about. I have to uh, look up those writers that they're comparing me to. And I think the comparisons are... are a bit clutching at straws really you know because occasionally I've looked at some of these books and I thought well this is nothing like what I do but it's the nearest people can sometimes um, get to what you're doing perhaps but yeah. um, I've never I think someone I did an interview with somebody else and they were asking me about that and I, I the only thing I could think of was I think somebody lent me uh, the, the the big sleep by Raymond Chandler when I was in school oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. And I that that stands out because I think that's probably the only detective thriller I've read. Yeah. Well, they say that if you pick a genre to write in, I have heard it said, that you should then not read any more of that genre so that it doesn't well, influence I, yeah, I can you. And you can understand come to that. it I think fresh, I think. Consciously yeah. steal stuff, you know, that's the, yeah. that's the problem. And um, But, um, yeah, it, it is um, difficult. I've, I can see how you'd be influenced. I, I'm aware that a lot of um, writers... You can tell they've been great fans of some particular genre when they were younger yeah. and famous yeah. reading stuff. So they thought, well, I'd, I'd like to uh, do that kind of thing. But um, I don't really think I've fallen into that category. And I, I, again, I'm sort of not really writing for my own amusement. Though obviously, you know, reading my own stuff is the greatest thing on earth. <laughs> Far more enjoyable than reading work by other people. But um, I, I think these are more, I think it's because I come from TV and where I'm doing stuff that has to be good, otherwise you don't get paid. And I think the rather than being some kind of labour of love or me paying tribute to some genre I liked when I was younger, they're kind of more commercial propositions than that uh, with an audience in mind, though I'm only gradually beginning to realise who that audience is and why they like the books. I mean, I could easily imagine loving these when I was 12 or 13 or something you'd be thinking my god you know it would be bit, at that age I think it would be as if you just opened the door into this forbidden world that even your parents were aware of so um uh, I used to think um if these were films they'd probably get a 12 or a 15 certificate but since then I think no they're probably 18, 18 yeah so 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 you're talking a bit a bit of spice um, yeah, I would say so. Eventually, you know, you, you're not allowed to read them until you're 37 or something and have to have special yeah. papers showing your age before yeah. you... Oh, well, I'm quite old enough. We'll be all right. Yeah. <laughs> um, there's, a, there's a lot. I mean, I'm a, I, I try to leave a lot in the imagination of of, of the reader. There's, there's a fair amount of sex in them. There's a fair amount of quite extreme violence in them. I think um, I saw one review that someone had done saying Beckett uh, shags his way through another uh, uh, explosive adventure or something like that, which... Uh, so but, you won't be giving um, it to your mother to read then? Um, probably not, though I think a, a lot of it is is quite... Um, it's subtle in a way. If you knew what was being talked about, you'd get it. If you didn't uh, know what was being suggested, possibly, it might be over your head. So uh, that's why I thought that you, if it was a film, you might get away with a 15. I don't know. But, um, <laughs> yeah. it, it's, uh, you know, I always, I'm always trying to push the envelope with these to see what I can get away with, though who I'm getting away with 
against, I have no idea. I mean, while I'm actually writing them, some of the things going on or hinted at are so awful, I find I'm sort of laughing out loud at them while I'm typing. But it, oddly enough, if I read them again after some time, if I'm doing a new book and I have to go back and check on some details, they all seem pretty tame, which is quite odd. Because at the time I was thinking, oh, just wait till I read this. You know, this is this is terrible. Um, so I don't know. So it's just I, that sort of makes you think, well, they're not as shocking as I thought. So it makes you make the the next one even worse. If worse is the right word, more shocking, more envelope pushing. I think is the uh, yeah. Well, I think it's interesting to see you know where your imagination will take you, and uh, I, I find I because I wrote I wrote very dark fantasy, and um, you know I've had people go, oh, you know, I can't believe you written that and uh, and I sort of think well it doesn't really bother me because it's just some nonsense it's popped into my head you know <laughs> but yeah, yeah. Uh, you know people take from it what they want um Dominic I'm going to ask you about your book covers because this is the words and pictures podcast um so uh do, did you do your book covers did you have them done uh, are you um, traditionally I, published I, that's the other thing you uh, or are you they, indie? yeah initially they they were traditionally published um kiss me when I'm dead and death is new black were commissioned and published by uh-huh traditional publisher um the covers they did were just stock photographs of a gun and some bullets which i didn't think were really appropriate for the types of books they were and made them look like lots of other books in the same field really so um i got i got the rights back to them and by that time i'd written pen fatale and i tried decided to try publishing myself and the, the, that, as you say, the first thing I did was to look into alternative cover design, something that was striking and s- stood out. And as you probably know, a lot of the books in the crime genre tend to have covers with sort of spooky landscapes, sinister alleyways. Somebody tree, running away. That's right. Trees shrouded in mist, people in silhouettes standing in malignant warehouses or intimidating railway stations. Yeah, absolutely. So yeah. These, these books were different. So I wanted the covers to be different. And there's a bit of an element of sort of perverse eroticism in all these books. So I decided to go for something that was like cross between the work of photographers Helmut Newton and Marc Lagrange. Helmut Newton uh-huh. probably best well known. He was a famous fashion photographer who specialised in sort of erotically charged scenes more often than not in black and white, often with a BDSM subtext. The women in these photographs are usually pretty powerful with a domineering femininity and nearly always unsmiling. Marc Lagrange, the other guy, um, he was similar in many ways, but he doesn't quite have that hard edge. He started in fashion but drifted into art and became sort of like an original and talented nudes or nudes photographer, more playful than Newton. But the first thing that I noticed about his work with the eyes of the models, usually with the help of makeup, they were quite smouldering and sinister. And again, there's that there was that thing of not smiling. I mean, a lot, it's a thing with a lot of photographers. They don't like smiling models because, you know, they're not meant to be holiday snaps or something. And Marc Lagrange did a series of rather ethereal photographs using a Polaroid camera and Polaroid chocolate 100 film. Uh, it's now discontinued, and it's one of the rarest films that Polaroid ever made. It's a bit sort of cooler in tone than uh, sepia, I suppose, would be the closest um, colour. And um, I think it was one of the last films to be manufactured by Polaroid before the factory closed down in 2008, I think it was. So I got in touch with the cover designer, emailed him a load of Newton and Lagrange photographs and pointed him in the direction of the portraits of models that were taken with the Polaroid chocolate film, which he reproduced as faithfully as possible for the covers. So he would then do about 20 mock-ups for each book, each with a different model, until I saw one I was happy with, with the right 
levels of sinister and sexy. So um, that's where that cover that came from. That sepia tone is not easier to match colours to, but eventually we found good matches down the orange and yellow end of the spectrum, along with a little used font uh, for the text. So the cover photographs, people have asked if they're meant to be um, the females who are in the books. They're not specifically meant to be representative of the female characters, but at the same time, I suppose, they have a hint of specific characters. So they're kind of people you might recognise once the book has been read. You know, I like to make things as vague as possible, really. <laughs> yeah. No, I like them. I think they've got a really good, like you say, they you can see it's a thriller, but not every day, an everyday thriller. It's then they've got a That's nice right. look across the four books. Yeah, I, the, I the, think the yeah, I think they work like really well. Or something, you know, with the, the photograph is there with the text going across it. So yeah. Um, yeah, no, I think I think they really work, and I think they I like the colours that particularly. I didn't know the backstory to to the photographers that you've um, based the design on, uh, but absolutely, um, that that really works for me. They 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 uh, look absolutely great. How have you found being an indie author as opposed to being a traditionally published author? Um, have you experienced the two things? Um, yeah, it, I mean, it, it's a lot of the marketing stuff is a bit of a pain that's that's the worst <laughs> part i think really and um getting dragged onto podcasts i, I, I just I, I don't even think about it now i just do it <laughs> you know I, I i try and set aside about 15 minutes a day to do stuff and um then i leave it i mean they they seem to do fairly well i mean uh, kiss me around dead came out with the, its original publisher in 2014 and it's sold consistently ever since that was republished in 2017 with the new covers. So three of them came out, two of them had already been out in 2017, and the last one came out in right at the tail end of 2020. Um, so I'm, I'm not sure about it. You know, I, I, I'm sort of ambivalent. I mean, it, there's part of it is um, you have more control over what you do, but does that mean that you might not be doing stuff that's quite as good with someone in a publisher saying no you can't do that i mean um i have them proofread obviously but um i don't have them edited and because i used to do a lot of tv script editing myself my sort of ego tells me <laughs> that an editor would make the wrong edits in these yes and well i think if you've got a skill i think you can use it i mean i do my own yeah. covers because i have got a bit of art background and uh, and just because i can and yet most people will say don't do the covers yourself well and i would say don't unless you can actually really use photoshop and do all the things yeah, that you need to do because right. otherwise it's going to look like a hash um, and I, I think it's the same I, with the I editing if, well, if you've got the skill then use it and save some money <laughs> spend the money on the covers <laughs> actually doing book covers that, that look good if they're small on amazon or something yes yes that's the trick the thumbnail and uh, i mean i i did um graphics in art college myself and but i would not have trusted myself to do the these you know i didn't have access to massive um photograph uh database photo shoot things and stuff like that yeah. i didn't have access to a wide variety of fonts that no one had used before so i i, I understand the basic what I, what I used to do with the guy i used is i i would just do photographs and just do a mock-up with cut out things i'd stick on with print or something onto a sheet of paper um scan it and say this but professional <laughs> so yeah. uh, that's, yeah. that's the way it was done really i mean you could actually go into it all yourself but i just don't have the patience for it really so. yeah 
And, and, when I, and also, that's the thing with being an indie author. All this stuff takes time. You know, I mean, the marketing, like you say, is a nightmare because, you know, you could spend all day doing it, really. There's so much to do. Do you just use yeah, the one um, platform, just the Twitter for the social yeah, media? Basically, yeah, I mean, I, I was advised to, to use um, Facebook as well when I started off, but I, I just really think it's a waste of time. I don't think it's anything. I don't think it does much. No, um, I don't get on with Facebook. I don't I, know I'm why. That, um, um, I, I'm aware that people do all these things, like they collect emails and stuff like this and send out, you know, uh, when their book comes out, they hit. I, I just can't be bothered with it, basically, you know. I mean, <laughs> You're very naughty, Dominic. I'm going to have to have a proper <laughs> word with you. Yes, and, and yeah. I've, noticed, I've noticed no website either. <laughs> yes, that's right. No, I got web, I haven't got a website. I, I exist on Twitter, really. And, yes, um, yeah. It, it's um, and a little bit on um Facebook, but um, uh, I don't know. I, I think you have to sort of choose one of those and put all concentrate all your energy into it. I think that's a lot better than collecting people's emails and things like that. Yeah, um, I, I'm on the different thing. I try to throw my seed wide, so I, I'm on Twitter and I'm on Facebook, but I'm it's kind of dormant. I'm on Instagram a bit, but I'm also on um, TikTok, which I do a lot. Um, yeah. TikTok's quite new for me, but I use it quite a lot. And I quite like it. It's quite good fun over there. Um, so I'd say give that a try. I think there's a good booky, reedy mm. um, community on there, um, more so than I thought there would have been. <clears throat> Excuse me. Yeah, so, yeah, the, the well, and like you say, it is very tricky to um, get your words into the reader's hands, and I think that's what we're always all trying to do, be it through our book covers or, yeah, I mean, you know, through other things. Most of my time spent, um, you know, the, the effort I put into these is really with the books and they need um a lot of reading uh you know i have an idea of what i'm going to do and i think well i, I just don't know anything about that so i mean i, I think uh femme fatale is a quite a good example um i had to become for want of a better word an expert on freemasonry modern burlesque and the triads and I just read and read stuff until it was just like my general knowledge. So then I was able to start writing. And I, I just thought it was quite a challenge for those three topics to be sort of car crashed together in a book and how, how you would do it. And that, that took a lot of uh, pre-planning. And um, it, it sort of became useful because I noticed there were lots of things that um, the triads had in common with Freemasonry. Uh, lodges male male free secret uh, sorry male only secret societies um hand signals handshakes all this sort of stuff and the more i read about them it, it's it's almost uh, which i try to get across in the book it's it's like the triads even though they're a criminal organization i mean they used to be a patriotic organization and now they're heading back to that but um, despite what you hear about them, it seemed to me from reading about them and the Freemasons that they had more integrity than Freemasons. Freemasons Freemasonry is essentially a, a decadent upper middle class organization that was appropriated Masons, you know, in the strict sense of the word, who made buildings so you wouldn't get cowboys. And, you know, all the talk about sort of charities and, and brotherhood and everything it's wide open to corruption. You have police consorting with criminals, um, at least with the triads. You know, they have criminals working in the police, you know, to their advantage. But I just wanted, basically, I, I just thought it would be interesting to unfavorably compare 
Freemasonry to the triads, uh, which I think I managed to do in the book. Yeah, it sounds um, sounds great. I'm I'm all I'm really hooked, having found out a lot more the, about uh, your work. Center, in the centre of that is uh, modern burlesque, and part of that is equal the triad and Freemasonry attitude to females, which is sort of turned on its head in many ways. But I, I don't, won't give the plot away because it's just far too exciting to give away. <laughs> but, um, yeah. Uh, yeah, so a lot of a lot of reading goes into these things because I generally am dealing with things that I don't know that much about. I mean, the uh, Kiss Me When I'm Dead involved um, modern uh, call girls, but I think now you'd call them that was from when the telephone came in. You'd probably call them e girls now. A lot of um, modern prostitution is done on websites, so in in effect, the site is the pimp. Basically. Yes. Yeah. And you, you and I had I had no idea it was so complex. And I just read tons of stuff about it so I could get the facts right. And um, all these things that I just would never have thought of when when sort of this this upper strata of, of that world, when they send a girl to a hotel, they will book and the client will pay for this. They will book two rooms, one for the girl to go and meet the client, another one for the girl to go on her own. Because if the client's high on drugs, dangerous or whatever, she's got somewhere to go. I'd had no idea they did that. Yeah, amazing. Sounds like fascinating <clears throat> so, stuff. Uh, so you sounds like you really put your put your. Yeah, um... I mean, <laughs> one uh, reviewer said it almost makes the case um, for the legalization of the whole thing, because um, you know the the fact that women in the sex business are regarded as non-humans by the clients almost so it doesn't matter if they get murdered or beaten up because they're not really people and um you know i've read i've read a lot read a lot about it and uh you just thought my god you know it's just far more complex than i'd imagined so that's quite yeah well it's, it's interesting interesting stuff sounds like you've really put some interesting lots of different stuff within these thrillers so it's not just the the guy with the gun and the crime to solve so yeah brilliant so we're ne- we're nearly out of time dominic we're just coming up to the when it's going to cut us all off without a without a <laughs> thought as zoom does um so people can find you on twitter dominic piper and yeah. um and i see that your books are in kindle unlimited uh, that's right. Yeah. Yeah. So that's great. So you can definitely find those if you're on if you're in KU and you want to have a read of of Dominic's stuff. Um, <clears throat> and they look brilliant, actually. My husband's a great thriller reader, so I'll definitely be putting these under his nose in a minute. <laughs> so have these next. These look good. And uh, yeah, it's really, really amazing. Um, do you bother with Amazon ads at all or? Um, How to dabble with that? It's expensive. The, sp- the sponsored thing. Um, I do time to time. Yeah. Um, it's hard to know if there's one going on at the moment. I think they're all sponsored at the moment. I think it, uh, it's hard to know who makes a difference. You can never tell. I mean, some of these books, for no particular reason, sort of shoot up 600,000 places in the charts overnight. You know, and you think, well, why, why did that happen? You know, I don't have an offer on or anything. Yeah. So it's, uh, it's difficult to... Uh, work out what's going on with it i mean there, yeah there i think some... these algorithms are a nightmare we're all trying to yeah i mean try it, it's, and fathom it but i don't think you can really well you you think you know that that one's not doing very well and the next morning it's shot up half a million places for, for no particular reason mm. do you have a favorite book out of the four of them 
Is, is one of them you, the one um, that you think, ah, oh. or do you no, always I, like I, the last thing that you wrote? I'm a bit yeah, like it's that. Yeah, it's the last thing. Yeah, yeah. I'm like that, yeah. They're all, quite, they're all quite different. They've all got the same um, character as the main character who is sort of front and centre on, on every page. Um, there are usually um, <clears throat> other characters. In, uh, you have to spend a fair amount of time, I've had, making all subsidiary characters um, interesting as well. And um, there are a few of them that uh, I, I quite liked when I was writing them, where I couldn't actually wait to get back to another scene that they were in. Yeah. Uh, um, but um, no, I mean, they're all quite different. And I made a point of that. They're all based in London. You have to take the reader into a world they're not familiar with. And I've done that in each of the books so far. Um, so they're not, um, no, there's no favourite, really. All have you great. got a title for the new one? No, title's the last thing. That is the last thing. <laughs> it's really difficult. Um, yeah, it is difficult. Um, yeah, I, I start off with something and then it always changes. So I, I always... The only, the only thing I like doing is uh, giving the chapters titles at the oh. end. Uh, that sometimes I get really good ideas when I'm actually writing it. And I think oh, that would be a good time. But by the time you get to it, it usually gets dumped. But yes, a lot of yeah. you think of witty ones which don't really work. <laughs> but uh, it's quite good. There's, these have anything from like 35 to 45 chapters, these books. And um, the last two are longer than the first two. And um, yeah, I think that's my favorite because you know it's finished. And so it's quite an enjoyable, no pressure, little occupation to give the. Uh, the, the titles um to the chapters yeah so yeah sounds good yeah, it's right. hard well i think we're just about to cut out um okay, right. it's been fabulous to talk to you thank you for joining yeah. us on the words and pictures and um okay. and hopefully we'll get together again soon when you get your new thing out when you think what you're going to call it <laughs> never that would be yeah <laughs> okay <laughs> we, we wait with breath abated thanks thanks so much Dominic. it was lovely to chat to you okay and you well, I think you'll agree I could have talked to Dominic Piper all day. He really is an interesting fellow. And as a matter of fact, um, as I come to record this intro and outro for his podcast here, his episode, uh, my husband is in fact reading one of his books and he says it's really good. And it really is, in fact, not like other thrillers that he's read. And my husband mostly reads thrillers. And so I think he's a pretty good judge. He says the prose is lovely as well. So well done, Dominic. And I'll look forward to reading that. Paul and I quite often swap Kindles and then I read what's on his and he reads what's on mine. So no doubt when we have a Kindle swap somewhere along the line, I'll pick up Dominic's book and have a read too. OK, so next week, my guest is traditionally published romance author Sue Moorcroft. And Sue Moorcroft will be telling us all about what it's like to be a traditionally published author. And of course, as I'm an independently published author, that's all news to me. And it's interesting stuff to hear about how she um, deals with her book covers and all that kind of thing and what it's like to be uh, contracted to write so many books a year. So well done, Sue. And she's a very lovely person. So do come along and she'll be telling us about her new book that's out just now, which is a Christmas book because she writes a Christmas book every year as well as a book in the summer, too. So come along and listen to Sue Moorcroft, who's my guest next week. So this has been the Words and Pictures podcast. I'm DJ Bowman-Smith and you can find me and everything that I do at djbowmansmith.com. And you can find me online, sticking Bowman-Smith, you'll find it. So in the meantime, thanks for listening and goodbye.